I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to yet another and just like that rewatch episode. I'm beginning to think that this season is just a psychological experiment. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Before we get into the episode, I just want to thank everyone that has reached out to me or called into the hotline about my rat situation. Um, I feel like I've kept the rats at bay. Like I got my car serviced. I got my car washed. Like, she's good. You got your own vacuum to clean out the rat poo. Oh, my God. Don't even remind me. It's so fucking dark. But no, I got that shit detailed. Like, I have a new car, basically. I saw from Tech, because I was over yesterday, what car wash you went to. And that's my favorite place to get tacos. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They got yummy tacos. Fab. All right, Chell. Last week, you were riding a high, and you were like, episode three is great. We've returned to form. How do you feel now after episode four? (sighs) I don't know. This show is so all over the place. And this episode was an especially bizarre one, I think. Oh my God. I felt insane. Also, Sex in the City is just gross now. That's just <laughs> what I have all over my notes is, ew, gross. This is gross. Why is it so gross? Yeah. On one hand, I respect the fact that they are bringing back the raunchy humor, hence the scene about jizz, etc. But on the other hand, there's something about it that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Well, there's something about Mary about it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm leaving my thought that this is just R-rated modern family and now thinking that this is just, like, some AI bot mixed up a Fairly Brothers film and Sex in the City, and that's why we have, like, dry cum jizz as, like, the B-plot line of this episode. Right. Well, shall we just start at the top? I mean, yeah, with a Bobby Lee jump scare. (laughs) Evidently, this is Carrie's favorite coffee and brunch buddy. When I saw Bobby Lee, or what's his character's name? Are we ever going to figure this out? No. Okay. I refuse. It's Jackie. Okay, his name's Jackie. So when Carrie and Jackie had brunch, my first thought was like, they will do anything but give us a scene with Charlotte and Miranda and Carrie together. Like, we're already on episode four and that hasn't happened. Of course, we get that later in the episode, but I was just like, is it even going to happen? You know, we all have that roster where we want to go out to brunch and you call one person, but they're busy, the next person, the next person. Like, how far down do you think on Carrie's (laughs) social roster is Jackie? Well, apparently she scheduled this breakfast for the sole purpose of giving him a book, right? Oh, yeah, which is very weird. That's definitely something that could have just been sent in the mail. This is all a ruse and also the joke of like no hollandaise before noon rule because he's got IBS or something and he must vacate the table, right? This is all a ruse just so that Carrie can see Enid. Right. But what's his name? Jackie. Jackie shitting his pants is very fairly brothers. Yes. When he said no holidays before noon and we were two minutes into the episode, I was in such a bad mood already. (laughs) I was like, this does not bode well for the rest of the episode. And guess what? I was correct. Okay, but this scene is probably the best part of the episode. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Which is that Carrie sees Enid, or should I say Enid sees Carrie and tries to (laughs) get out of this restaurant without being spotted. 
But that was so legit, right? Because when she finally is forced to talk to Carrie, she gives the excuse like, oh, I heard your husband died and I never so much as sent you a text message or a card or whatever. Enid says she feels very bad about it, but does Enid not feel bad about setting into motion the events of Carrie's now deceased husband leaving her at the altar? Yeah. We should note that why Carrie doesn't initially see Enid is because some random older man just keeps sending her selfies. Right, right. Which is another infuriating, like, written by a boomer plotline that plagues this episode. But Enid says, you know what? I also faced a death and I was like, oh my God, we're finally going to get an acknowledgement that Wallace Shawn exists in this world again. And it was like, no, I got, I was golden parachuted out of Condé Nast, which it's like, well, that's very kind of them. Well, see, this I think is fantastic boomer writing because what she actually says is after 34 years at Vogue and then six years before that at Mademoiselle, may she rest in peace, Condé Nast gave me the golden parachute, which is funny. I mean, are we thinking that Grace Coddington got a golden parachute? Did Condé Nast take care of her? They do. They definitely do for certain people. It's also introduced that Enid has a popular newsletter called Ask Enid. It's rivaling Goop, Chelsea. Can you believe it? Because I fucking can't. (laughs) Yeah, that is a strange detail. Because obviously newsletters are huge, but... I don't know, women of that generation? I feel like the people that love newsletters are women in their 50s or younger. People in Carrie's age bracket, not Enid. Yeah, like that's the Gwyneth Paltrow age bracket. It's a very Gen X idea. Well, also we learn that in between seasons, what we didn't see was that Carrie sent her book in hopes to get a blurb from Enid, but now that the blurb ship has sailed... Okay, that feels realistic, though. Saying the blurb ship has sailed? No, the fact that Carrie would have tried to get her to blurb the book and Enid would have ghosted her. Oh, 110%. Again, every time the show giveth, it quickly taketh away. Yeah, it's also really crazy that Enid refuses to cover Carrie's book in Ask Enid... Just because, like, wouldn't she feel so guilty over the not sending flowers or calling her vibe that you'd just be like, sure, but I understand why this needs to happen for the plot of the episode to unfold as it does. I know that publishing, like, every media industry right now is a challenging landscape, but I really don't think that Carrie's grief memoir would be a hard sell. No, of course not. Also, Carrie is someone that Enid has co-signed on for years already. So clearly she doesn't think that she's like completely tragic. No, but Enid's response is, well, if I write about your book, then I'd have to write about everyone's book, which is true. But also it's like, Carrie is not a rando and you aren't doing her a favor. Like this is going to be a hot best-selling book where Julianne Moore will eventually play Carrie Bradshaw in the movie version of this. Riddle me this. So Enid has asked Enid, a successful online media company, and she's starting a completely new one called Vivant, an online magazine even. It's crazy how people used to try to start online magazines and like no one ever figured it out. And then everyone gave up. That was the landscape that you and I graduated college in as two people that originally wanted to work for magazines. It was like, well, it's all done. Print publication is dead. We're all moving to digital magazines. And we as a collection of people, while we will look at editorials on websites, we just refuse to look at a magazine in PDF form. 
No. Well, we also can't deal with like the 3D page flipping <laughs> effects and stuff. Like that's just deeply unpleasant. But I don't know. Who knows what Enid's vision for Vivant is? Did you know it was French for alive? I mean, not before. <laughs> watching this episode I'll be completely honest and as if this experience wasn't traumatic enough Enid lumps them together in a age group sort of mixing boomers and gen x together totally which does feel like something that would happen and something that would be triggering to carry for sure although it's not that hard to see I mean a magazine for postmenopausal retired women and their lifestyle is not the craziest thing and in that qualification, Carrie is definitely in that group. Right, except she's not retired. And neither is Enid. <laughs> Enid has to go because her new beau's calling her, of which I'm like, what happened to Wallace Shawn? He wasn't tech avail for, and just like that. Book Club 2, available. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlotte and LTW's kids are going to summer camp for a month. Thank Fucking God, we're free of the children. Yes. I know. LTW is also wearing an insane amount of Louis Vuitton. And I love how now that Samantha is gone, like they had to have someone else to bring that sort of new money vibe into the show. Like I feel generally like her costuming is so much more over the top than the rest of the girls. Like it's almost like she's in Sex in the City too. Right. And everyone else is in just like straight up and just like that. Right. It's a different styling objective. It definitely feels like two shows are going on right now. For sure. So Charlotte and Harry are obviously going off to fuck and LTW and her husband's kink is just working without the children. Yeah. Well, you know, now that uh, LTW's movie is in Tribeca, of which I'm like, wait, What time of year are we in? Because pre-pandemic Tribeca was in April. It's now in the (laughs) It's now in the beginning of June. Say that it got into the Venice fucking film festival or something. Because we have to go to the Tribeca premiere. I hope so. They're not taking us to Venice. And just like that does not have that kind of budge. They went to Paris once and that's it. So then we cut to Miranda sleeping on the couch. Did you notice that she is reading Carrie's book? Love and Lost is open. uh, Oh, that's cool. Just to the side of her. Uh, Then we get our first appearance of Steve, who is yoked, hitting a speed bag. How did that make you feel? Because it certainly made me feel a certain way. Well, the vibe of the house in general is terrible. You know, not just because of Steve, because of Brady also. And I was like, fuck Miranda, like you should honestly go back to L.A. Like, why did you even come back? Yeah, or why aren't you staying in a hotel or with Charlotte? I guess she needs to be in Brooklyn in the home base with her family. Well, she's obviously going to get out of there probably by the next episode, I would imagine. Right. Brady is in bed with his Air Maxes which he can hear his father boxing and just the the general tension that you could cut with a knife in this household. You know, it was never like this when Magda was alive. That's all I'm going to say. Also, someone called in about this. Where did Magda sleep? Like, where did Steve's mom sleep? Like, surely there's a guest room in this brownstone. I guess they didn't want to build an additional set. I don't know. But there's not just the two bedrooms, I'm going to assume, in this brownstone. Yeah. 
Well, they just had to kick Miranda down several notches. I understand the thought process. And then, you know, I needed my own trigger warning because Miranda looks at her phone and Che is in Houston in a comically large America hat. Like a cowboy hat. All right. Then we got Seema and Carrie at the coffee shop, which Carrie's wearing quite the hat. Yeah. It's like a black tricorn, like pirate hat, basically. But the overall effect gives none. You know those nuns that are like really avant-garde? Yeah. Like kind of like Sally Field and the Fly Nun. Like it's like the inverted version of that because it's like their hats are white and their like dresses or whatever are black. Yes, it's giving black narcissus. But this feels like a Sarah Jessica choice and less of a Carrie choice. I've never really associated Carrie as a hat person. This is very like eccentric British woman kind of hat. Helena Bonham Carter, baby. Yeah. Carrie refers to Enid as her former boss and mentor. Do we think Enid is Carrie's mentor? Of course. All right. She always had a great deal of seniority over Carrie throughout the show. They're definitely not like peers. No, but to say that someone's a mentor, in my mind, means that they shepherded your talent and, like, Enid is ducking Carrie's calls and <laughs> her looks at a coffee shop. Like, if True. I, like, Jessica Glasscock is our mentor, and if we saw her at a coffee shop, she wouldn't pretend to not know us, Chell. <laughs> she might. <laughs> she asks Seema if she presents as a 75-year-old retiree, which I found to be funny. I mean, we would love that. All we want is Golden Girls, Sex and the City. Although, ironically, those actresses in... I mean, we're not the first one to make this point, but the actresses, when they first starred in Golden Girls, were in their mid-50s. So crazy. Aside from Estelle Getty. Oh, we learned that Carrie has a book deal. Like, she's delivered two of the books. She has one to go. So that's nice to know that she has, like, some future employment on the horizon. That's true. She's booked and busy. Yeah, she has stuff lined up. Also, is this a set? The coffee shop? No. In this scene, the lighting is so bizarre that I spent a minute or two being like, is this a set? It's true. It kind of feels like they have died and like gone to heaven or something. <laughs> Seema notes that they are not seniors, but sophomores. I dislike this episode greatly, but I would say of all the, the subplots, this Carrie getting random texts from this older man is the one that I dislike the most. This In this scene, we learn that he's not a rando. He's a man named Marlon Schaefer. Yeah, another named side character. <laughs> he's giving that guy that Samantha fucks when she thinks she, she's going through menopause. Right, right. Meanwhile, uptown, Harry and Charlotte getting it on. And that was... Great to see. Yeah. It was aspirational to see a couple who's been married for going on almost 20 years, having a healthy sex life. I was like, good on this show. This is what it's supposed to be. And then Charlotte says, do you want to come on my tits? And I went, what? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> I know I'm watching this at midnight, but did I just hear what I thought I heard? And it's not even his birthday. But it is Hanukkah and Christmas all rolled into one. So Harry is like, I don't even know. That's not shooting blanks. That's like just like shooting nothing. I didn't know you could like ejaculate into your bladder. I don't know. Maybe I'm revealing too much of myself. But the fan, the fact that he like stands above her, like not on his knees, but is like high aloft, 
coming on top of her. And at first I was like, oh, that's weird. They didn't put like prop cum on her tits. Uh, okay, and just like that. And then to realize that this was going to be a plot point, I was like, no, <laughs> please don't do this to us. But this situation does set up the next scene, which is the closest thing to like an old brunch scene that we've gotten for a minute. It is, but this scene is also so fucking odd. Okay, but we do get Miranda and Carrie and Charlotte together. Anthony's also there, but whatever, sure. Anthony as a Samantha stand-in. As we've learned in this season, there will always be someone standing in for Samantha, whether it's an Anthony or a Seema or like an Anthony LTW combo. Right. But I like this because everyone gives their opinions about jizz. The fact that they call it jizz and not cum, <laughs> I find very upsetting. Well, jizz is certainly more comedic than cum. It's giving Fairly Brothers. It's giving early aughts comedy. Right. It's like there's something about Mary vibes. To hear Miranda say, I haven't been with a man for a while, but jizz-free sex sounds like an upgrade. And then Carrie goes, that should have been our first clue is very old school sex in the city. Yeah, exactly. I think that's good. And also, this is so true because straight women have such like drastically different viewpoints about cum, you know? Oh, do we, Chell? You guys like love talking about it, for one thing. <laughs> and you're either like super into it or you hate it. You're either Charlotte or you're Miranda in this situation? Yeah. So Carrie says, Carrie always... Switzerland in these conversations says that she's never thought about cum until this very moment. Was she not a love and sex columnist for two decades? And did she not chronicle her friend who dated a man with the funkiest tasting spunk? But I feel like this is more than we usually get from her, even her acknowledging that she would miss it if it was gone. Well, that was also weird because for the first time, I think since season five, when she has writer's block, do you see Carrie coming up with a pithy statement? Because she goes, jizz is... Jizz is, and I was like, oh God, is she, is she glitching? What's happening with Carrie? And then she reboots and she goes, jizz is like an old friend that gets on your nerves. I think I would miss it if it were gone. It's like, I don't know if that's how I feel about friends that get on my nerves. Old friends that get on your nerves. Yeah, you actually don't miss them. At all. Charlotte thinks it's like the confetti at a parade, which checks out. Yeah, I think my favorite line is Anthony, when Miranda asks him, as the resident male of the group, someone who can ejaculate, what does he think about this? And he goes, thank you, Rachel Maddow. I was, that, that actually made me laugh. He goes, I think the clinical term is dust balls. And then he refers to himself that he's never done this either as a comer or a cummy, which made me laugh. Yeah, I think this scene was definitely one of the high points of the episode. They get on something where they refer to it as mayo. And Miranda's like, I've never been a fan of mayo either and she goes see another clue and it's like a, f a fucking what that would be a clue which is not to say that like all people that hate come are like automatically lesbians or whatever but yeah but there's secretions regardless when you're having sex yeah but a does not equal b well i guess i'm on the side of charlotte you know it's like the finale of fireworks on the fourth of july so back up town LTW and her husband are having a date night. At the mark. He's like, I've decided I don't want to run for city comptroller. Okay. Again, 
this is one of those moments where you're like, oh, are they in on the joke? Or are they not? Like, is this a reference to John Slattery, the pee guy from season three? That's what he was running for. No, it's just the only public office that exists within this world. That's what I was going to say. Or is it the only thing they know in government that isn't a mayor or governor? Which seems too unrealistic. And maybe other positions would be more obscure. I mean, not really, though. To be fair, I was a teenager when I first watched the... John Slattery episodes, but like that was the first time I was hearing what a city comp controller was. Right, but I still like barely even know what that means. Like you're dealing with like finance shit, but for the government? The city comp controller is the paymaster and chief accounting officer of the city. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible job. (laughs) You think being a CPA for high net worth clients is annoying? Try being a CPA for an entire city. And you're like, okay. That's a weird scene just to shove in here. I guess that's never coming back again. (laughs) Then we have Charlotte and Harry at the doctor who starts eating a power bar. I would... Yeah, this episode is so fucking weird with some of its choices. It's like, is this supposed to be a comedic beat that you can't really hear him because he's chewing on a power bar? Also, is this product placement for power bar? I haven't thought about a power bar since 2006. (laughs) This scene is basically just here to tell us that this is like a common occurrence for men of a certain age. And we know in the writer's room, it's a big thing that there's some truth in every plot point that is in these episodes that's been a credo since the beginning of Sex and the City. It's very clear that this was a story that was told that happened to someone, some friend's husband. The doctor suggests that he does Kegels, which Harry thinks is Kugel, because remember, Harry's Jewish. Charlotte then considers herself an expert, which is odd because I recently rewatched Are We Sluts, where Charlotte is unaware what a Kegel is and the girls have to explain it to her. Three times a day. I was impressed with that. I was quite disturbed by the phrase one, two, three, four, slurp that sperm from the pelvic floor. So they go back and practice. Harry is on his back. Charlotte is coaching him. She's using the metaphor of an elephant trunk slurping from the river. Phrases like, I want to shoot all over you. Slurp that sperm from the pelvic floor. It's the slurp. Yeah, I know, I know. Although that said, like props to the actors, like they did a great job in this scene. It's just, you know, we're grossed out because it feels like watching our parents talking about slurping sperm. I do want to clarify because if indeed the writers listen to this podcast, they're going to say that we're ageist. And it's not that we're ageist. This could very well be a funny storyline. It's just dealt with in the grossest way. I don't disagree with you there. So now we're in family therapy with Steve and Brady and Miranda. They have the most like twee hipster therapist. Like, where did she come from? It feels like the writers were like, fuck, we already cast Hari Neff as the rabbi. I guess we can't have her as the family therapist. Although I would have loved that. Totally. (laughs) Reverend Jen's just like making the rounds. (laughs) Yeah, this chick definitely looks like she's read Jenny Slate's biography. (laughs) She's giving Jenny Slate. She's also giving um, Mia Kirshner from The L Word. She doesn't give off crazy like that, though. She gives off someone who is like no stranger to a Zoe Deschanel song. She does look like she's about to break out a ukulele. Yeah, absolutely. Asking Brady to talk through his problems. So they are in family therapy, not 
because of their own family discord, which would make a lot of sense. They seem to be in family therapy because Brady was in crisis for his breakup, which he starts the session being like, I'm done talking about that. It's been three weeks. So I guess we can assume it's been three weeks from the last episode to this episode. And Brady understandably wants to talk about the dissolution of his own parents' relationship, which seems really fucking fair. Right. Of course. And he brings up the fact that their living arrangement is like the worst vibe. And that his father has gotten a speed bag to take out his aggression. I thought Brady had a nice joke. He goes, I can barely sleep and I'm heavily medicated. To which Miranda goes, you're not heavily medicated. And he goes, great, give me more. Yeah. That felt like appropriate teenager talk. Totally. I kind of side with Brady in this situation, actually. He also doesn't want to go to college. Or at least doesn't want to start it in the fall. Fair. Who cares? Like, it's not. he's not saying he doesn't ever want to go to college. He just doesn't want to go right now. And it's understandable. There's a lot of heavy shit going on in the family. Yeah, let him be a bar back at Scout for a hot minute. Like, who cares, you know? Speaking of which, Steve's then like, you know what? I'll move out. And uh, I'll get a place closer to Scout. And I was like, all right, Scout still exists. Good to know this. Well, it existed last season, remember? Because they made pandemic references to Scout, I think. Honestly, if Scout was able to survive the financial crisis of 2008, it makes sense that an early aughts bar would be really popular with Gen Z college students right now. For sure. So it immediately cuts to Miranda and Carrie in the elevator. And Miranda immediately shits on Brady by saying that he's not a kid who self-motivates. Well, that's like a good thing to know about your child. Like you would. You know if you have a type A child or like a full-on slacker. I guess so. Before we get to Miranda and Carrie at Che's apartment, there's just a line that Miranda says that honestly made me gasp when she says... I don't, I'm not going to voice my opinion because I'm the one that blew us up and we all know it. And then she says, it's our silent agreement. Steve won't punch me in the face and I'm not allowed to take up any more room on the couch. Like, why are we invoking domestic violence? Not to be like a super woke person, but that was like so fucking out of left field. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Oh, I did not. Because it's not serious. Like... She's not, like, doesn't feel, like, physically unsafe around Steve. Like, he has a punching bag. It's not, like, out of nowhere. So anyway, they get to Che's new apartment, and who's there but Lyle? I'm not even mad at Lyle. I clocked this from the trailer because that's the scene that was in the original trailer is Oliver Hudson as Lyle opening the door. And I was like, oh, Che has a roommate. That's so cute. Carrie will hook up with this guy Lyle and I still thought that until halfway through this scene and I was like oh so I guess we're not getting this as a storyline but I like that we get a bit of backstory for Lyle um I mean I only really care about the fact that he was a hairdresser I think that's great that he took time off from the Malibu Soho house well also I like the acknowledgement that Che once had long flowing Carrie Underwood hair which is true of Sada Ramirez Yeah. Also. Lyle drove Che to New York, which reminded me, didn't you once drive cross country with a couch? Yeah. I drove cross country when I moved to New York the first time. And then, yeah, I bought a couch like later after I graduated from college that I drove over as well. RIP that couch. That was a great couch. (laughs) I know. 
It was. Carrie does have a banger line where she says to Lyle, I want to talk to a man with a ring on every finger. Yeah. Which he's like, oh, this is just like a holdover from my hairdressing days. It's like, did you work at the Chaz Dean salon? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's legit. So Miranda and Che go into the bedroom. Carrie and Lyle get to talking. Carrie and Lyle fall through the half-set-up Ikea couch. Miranda and Che come out. And I swear to God, I thought a laugh track was going to start playing. And then it was just going to say, like, and just like that, it's filmed in front of a studio audience. And then it went to commercial. Because it's so something out of Two and a Half Men or something. I can see that. Um, We also learn in this scene that... Che and Lyle were married in Vegas, both dressed as Elvis, during which time they had a mutual girlfriend named Jenny. And so we know now that they were in a poly relationship, which we suspected about Che, obviously. Oh, they were poly pioneers. (laughs) Also, Jenny was his first pegging. Uh, Yes, and I love that Lyle needs it to be known. He goes, hey, this wasn't a pervy straight idea, okay? (laughs) Also, I have a note about pegging because I think there's a little confusion on the internet, especially in relation to recent episodes of And Just Like That. Pegging means that a straight woman wears a strap-on dildo and penetrates a straight man. This is not a term that applies to queer sexuality, just... FYI. And also, shout out to our spiritual father, Dan Savage, who did coin this term on his podcast. Oh, wild. Lesbians can't peg each other? No. Wild. All right. See, I absorb that information, unlike Carrie, who could not be more fucking uncomfortable in this scene. As a self-described sexual anthropologist, you have no interest in anything that is like vaguely transgressive. Girl, you have one more book in this book deal. You need material. No, it's just like it's bras on and missionary position for this girl. Uh, it. This is the scene where I was like, oh, we're not going to get Carrie fucking Lyle, are we? <laughs> but also like when Miranda's like, well, When I first wore a strap on, it's like, wait, that didn't count. If you're talking about what we saw, like that definitely does not count. You tried on a strap on. (laughs) Yeah. That's like putting on an evening gown and then like not leaving the house, you know? (laughs) Exactly like that. And then tell, and then I fucking knew when Lyle fell asleep on the bed. I said, I know where this is going, but I pray it's not going where I think it is. So Che and Miranda decide to sleep in the other half of the bed that Lyle is not on. But wouldn't you know it, Lyle wakes up while Miranda and Che are hooking up. And I just have in my notes, Che is a fucking demon. I'm not sure what I meant by that. (laughs) Well, that is a crazy thing to spring on someone. In the moment. Like, it makes sense that it would happen, like, if you talked about it beforehand or something. But, like, that is fully, fully wild. Also, I don't think I've had this much anticipatory dread about a threesome since the last time I watched Chasing Amy. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And the last time you watched Chasing Amy was, like, 1999. Yeah, actually, straight up. The first and last time you ever watched this movie. Also, it's a very fucked up thing to do to ask in the moment 
when you're about to be transgressive to be like, hey, are you cool with this? It's like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to answer? But we do get the most Miranda response, which is thank you for asking. My visceral reaction is no. (laughs) But I was like, there's the Miranda I remember. And then she grabs Lyle's ass and I was like, oh no, Miranda's gone again. (laughs) I was like, this isn't hot. But then I was like, oh, Miranda doesn't have a place in this threesome. That's funny. I was like, oh, okay, we're getting like an old school Miranda style season two to season four sex scene. And then she gets a Charlie horse and I was like, there's our girl again. Yeah, yeah. I loved that actually because that's like who she is and what would happen. Yeah. So shall we talk about LTW's dinner now. (sighs) Someone called in and was like, wouldn't LTW have an assistant? And it's like, correct. LTW would have an assistant. This whole thing would never happen, which is they realized that LTW's husband didn't send the paperless post and now everyone is on vacation. So no one is going to show up for their anniversary dinner. And I'm like, this storyline makes no sense. You would never book a 20-person private room dinner without checking the guest list and the RSVPs. Yeah, no, that's I thought that too. Wouldn't these vacations already be planned? Like, would someone's 20th anniversary dinner really preempt you from going on vacation? Well, of course not. I don't think they were suggesting that, but I think they just realized, like, oh, no one's actually here. Right. But this is all to give us what we have always wanted. More of um, LTW's mother-in-law. Ooh, that? (laughs) But am I feeling the beginnings of a Charlotte having a work storyline? I know. It's so, so exciting. I really, really like, of all the side characters, I'm happy that Victor Garber is here because he's kind of like a less pretentious version of Alexander Petrovsky, but with more like Trey-esque personality traits. Yes. Like he fills the tray void in the show. One detail that just threw me for a, for a loop when... <laughs> oh my God, what? When he says that his daughter is 10 and at sleepaway camp, I'm like, so you were 65 when you had this child? Yeah, I, I thought that too. <laughs> I was excited to see Victor Garber because it was like, ooh, a wild Victor Garber appears. And then a wild Billy D. Williams appears. I was like, holy shit, Lando Calrissian's in this as well. I know. I know, I love that. Um, but this is like such a bad vibe, this party. Oh God, poor poor Harry. Well, we learned that each of their mother and father-in-laws hates the other. So Billy D. Williams hates LTW's husband because he's a centurion to the great gods of Wall Street. Right. I do love that Harry refers to his job as having to do with the redistribution of wealth as a divorce attorney. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Harry being a divorce lawyer impressed him either. Maybe it's like slightly less fucked up than being a Wall Street guy, but like not by much. Because he's in in the arts, and that's why. And Eunice hates LTW because she's too much of a businesswoman. If I was LTW... I would jump over the table and strangle her when she was like guilt tripping me for not like baking cakes and shit. Wow, you really put yourself in this situation because you were like guilt tripping me about not ordering the cake. (laughs) Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. It's like LTW has enough on her plate. She shouldn't have to bake cakes from scratch. LTW forgets to order the cake and Eunice is like, in my day... 
I would just make the cake. This would have never happened. And then Billy D. Williams is like, well, that's because you gave up your dream as a concert pianist to raise children. And at that very moment, I was like, wait, is this show about LTW and her husband? Because this is like the most potent storyline of the episode where I'm like, who who isn't just like that about anymore? Because it, it shifts between episodes and it's certainly not about the main three. The main three feel more like the supporting characters. I feel like the most interior work we've seen in the first four episodes is, is around yeah, LTW, sure. her husband. He's now running for political office. Yeah, I know. And like, what's his face? Um, LTW's father is like, is there anything you do that like doesn't revolve around money? It's like, wait, isn't that job like literally about like, it money. revolves around money? <laughs> That's what I thought based on my like very vague understanding of what this job actually is. And the writer's vague understanding of what a city comp controller is, because that seems to quell Billy D. Williams. What was the bill for that dinner? Like, is that a $10,000 dinner? Oh, way more. Come on. $20,000 dinner? Easily. When you factor alcohol into that and the oysters, we don't know how much they shelled out for that. Pun intended. Yeah. So now we have the thing that we've been wanting, I would say, the entirety of the episode, which is Carrie at Enid's brownstone. This is clearly a different apartment than she had when Lexi Featherstone plunged to her tragic death and perhaps Enid only moved in recently because we got a call that points this out. Chelsea, Lauren, hi ladies. This is Natalie, a longtime fuckette. I wanted to call in about the scene in Enid's apartment, or should we say Miranda Priestley's apartment? I think we all recognize that very famous apartment. And if I'm not mistaken, I feel like earlier this year, I remember seeing online that it was uh, for sale. So I wonder if they were able to hop in and shoot the show probably during that time. Okay, I didn't bother to fact check this, did you? I didn't, but enough people called the hotline that I was like, this is probably true. Right, okay. <laughs> we trust you guys. So, Gloria Steinem is there. <laughs> kind of the most noteworthy thing. Kind of a Gloria Steinem jump cut, because as soon as Carrie lands from the stairs, it's like, whoa. Gloria Steinem's here. Yeah, it checks out that Gloria Steinem and Enid are friends. Gloria is a longtime Vogue girl. So wouldn't you know it, Bitsy Von Muffling is there because this launch event is really just for the people with the deep pockets, which will become clear in a little bit. But Bitsy sits down with Carrie and admits that she is the one who set Carrie up with Marlon Schaefer, which... It's just very odd not to mention this via text. Like, if you're Marlon Schaefer, wouldn't you be like, hey, I got your number from Bitsy Von Muffling? Well, also, it's weird because she is fucking him also? Or she did fuck him? Oh, that's right. Yes. It's just weird to hook someone up with someone that you are currently fucking. I don't know. I would imagine the Upper East Side, well, what... (sighs) from what I've learned from The Real Housewives of New York, and I imagine Hollywood is also similar, there's really only five guys to fuck. And you just sort of pass them around. All of that is forgotten because we get the most shocking yet edifying backstory that no one could please Bitsy in bed more than Bobby Fine. (laughs) Okay, but I love that they revisited this. And Carrie's like, you know wasn't he gay? And she's like, yeah, that's why he tried so hard. And then she notes that uh, Mr. Broadway loved his lady. And she's like, clearly I have daddy issues. And I was like, what is this? Like a Liza Minnelli, Vincent Minnelli, David Guest reference? Like what's going on here? Possibly also 
The way she said tweet, tweet was so sinister. I don't know if you noticed this. <laughs> no. Because she's like, you're the little birdie. And she's like, tweet, tweet. Ugh. Whatever. I'm into it. I'm into Bitsy Von Mufflin. I think she is, oh, yeah. weirdly enough, one of the highlights of this show. And it makes sense that she would be in the end just like that world, of course. And I feel like next season she may be a series regular. I'm absolutely fine with that. She is a value add this season and the past few episodes. As quick as and just like that giveth, it taketh away. Because Bitsy Von Muffling then shows Carrie a dick pic of Marlon. Which is like from an angle that no one would ever take. Well, it was like taken in studio, this dick pic. This dick pic, like you would think like Irving Penn's lighting guy lit this dick. It's out of an anatomy book. As someone that has seen dick pics, they're always holding their dick. And it's always like the worst composition that a photo could have. Yeah, you do need an object. You need like jeans or boxers sort of down your thighs to provide a background of some sort. This is like a dick like portrait. Anyway, Marlon's a tripod. Get it, Chelsea? Get it? I get it. But also I want to talk about the fact that like Bitsy Von Muffling looks really major in this scene. Like she's always been kind of a chameleon fashion wise, like throughout the course of Sex in the City and, and just like that. But this is like her doing Samantha. Oh, yeah. Every supporting character that has been brought into and just like that is just filling the Samantha role, whether in fashion or the way they talk or the kind of storyline they bring. But this is a really, really major blazer. So love that for her. So Gloria Steinem speaks, and I love that they just let her write her own thing. As someone that's been to a couple of fairly similar benefits where Gloria Steinem has like done her spiel, it's like, oh yeah, this is just, this is her material. Her sense of humor is highly specific and also just kind of like the pacing of the way she speaks. But she's obviously an icon, so charismatic. I think it was fun to see her. But she's also someone that is not above doing this kind of thing. Like she was also on the L Word. She was also in the First Wives Club right, right, as right. herself. Well, she says that Vivant sounds like a revolution and that the new frontier is aging. And then during this, Bitsy sends Carrie the photo of Marlon's cock. And she saves it. Evidently something that happens between scenes that we don't physically see. Yeah. I mean, I guess we've all like accidentally saved something, but like you wouldn't with something like that. Absolutely not. And certainly not. Whatever. I I hate this storyline so goddamn much. Okay. Let's just pretend it's not happening then. Um, Carrie runs into Gloria Steinem and they have a little chat pretty cute yeah gloria says to carrie because carrie's like i don't know what to say to you other than you know i i thank you yeah Yeah. what else can you say of course but then gloria steinem says that they must like the same things then and i'm like is that true would we yeah well gloria steinem is an it girl too you know a fashion icon a legendary new yorker also a legendary accessorizer like one of the times I saw her, she looked so amazing. She was wearing like a black skin tight turtleneck gown with these giant like pave crystal matching cuffs that looked like dinosaur like vertebrae. It was like the most major thing I've ever seen. But she also loves like a low slung belt. I think she's wearing one in this scene. So then Enid reveals the real reason she wanted Carrie there. And for the first time, 
And we've been talking about this the last few episodes. We finally get an acknowledgement of Carrie's wealth. Yes, I know. Which is, I don't want you to write a thousand words on purses. Nice reference to season four, which you wrote for Vogue. Yep, love that. I want you to give me $100,000. Carrie then says to Enid, if I gave you $100,000, I have to give everyone $100,000 and tries to leverage the $100,000 for a blurb or a placement of her upcoming book in Ask Enid. Then Gloria Steinem comes out of the bathroom. They ask someone to take a photo. Then Enid's like, let me look at the photo because I've gotten fucked before. That's true. Then somehow goes back and sees the photo of Marlon's cock that is now saved in Carrie's photo library. Right, right. Even though Bitsy sent it in a text thread. And then we learn that that is Enid's new boyfriend. So then Carrie completely fumbles the bag to get a book mention. And then jokes to Enid that she doesn't have her checkbook, to which Enid says PayPal works, which is such a fucking boomer joke. You cannot send $100,000. They had to reverse engineer the end just like that. So I started the episode so mad with that fucking no holidays before noon. Then I settled down. I was like, all right, this is like really crazy and really weird. And then... That fucking and just like that put me in the worst mood because the writer in me knew you are correct that they fucking reverse engineered. Sorry, I'm getting like... <laughs> Lauren's like about to have a breakdown this episode. I'm acting like... Look, I thought this one was a downgrade, but perhaps not as much as you do. And just like that, Eden and I became PayPals. It's like... Ugh. That one did destroy me mentally um, and spiritually... When people make the criticism that the show has lost its edge, this is what they're referring to. Because obviously Carrie making a pun, like that makes sense. That's who she is as a writer, of course. But this is just beyond. Yeah, and also I think Carrie's explanation of like, Bitsy Von Muffling sent me a dick pic suffices. So you think... She sent her the full $100,000. I think this is a television show and they made a joke that logically doesn't make any sense, which is Okay, now- but beyond that, beyond your opinions about how plausible yes. this actually is, yes. do you, you think she gave her $100,000? Absolutely. Okay. Carrie is See, not- I was unclear. Carrie is not a good business person. It evidently felt so embarrassed. Also, what the fuck is 100K to Carrie Bradshaw? She's clearly not underwriting her podcast anymore, so... Okay, but that's crazy for a blurb and ask Enid, though. Oh, no, that's the other thing. She's not getting that fucking blurb either because she fumbled that bag. She's giving it because of the blurb. I don't think she fumbled the bag. I think she obviously fucked things up a little bit with the boyfriend. She realized she had to pay out. Absolutely. I took that to mean that she was initially going to leverage 100000 for the book mentioned. I hope both of us are wrong. <laughs> you know why? We are both wrong. It's a fictional fucking world. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but I think, yes, to answer, now I understand what you're asking. Carrie was willing to pay $100,000. Isn't it fun listening to two podcasters that can barely understand each other? I think that Carrie was about to leverage $100,000 for a book mention, then insulted Enid because also you're forgetting in this, not only, it's not only the dick pic of her boyfriend, she, Carrie goes, I never date a guy that age. And so she's, in a fashion, calling Enid old. 
And so I felt that Enid was like, I'm not going to mention your book, but if you want me to not like blacklist you in this circle, you're going to give me 100000 Okay. I think it was just like very transactional for the blurb. They both insulted each other. I don't think Enid looked at what she said to carry as an insult. No, but like they both got one in, one or two, and... They came together, their shared interest in um, work shit, as always. Marlon's tripod. Well, only time will tell when Carrie's book comes out, if uh, it'll get mentioned on Ask Enid. I want to see what this newsletter looks like. They should just make it to promote the show. All right, well, we've reached the end. Predictions for next week, if any. Oh, man. When do we think Aiden's coming along? Because we're four episodes in. I know. It's got to be soon because the amount that he's filmed just in photos that we've seen, like we need that Steve, Carrie, and Aiden on Coney Island scene. Right. Yeah, totally. I forgot about that. Because Aiden's a silent partner in Scout. I wonder if the writers remember that. Hopefully Charlotte will be working for Victor Garber. Like, But something has to happen, right? We need some inciting incident where she's like, oh, I do need to focus on myself. God willing. (laughs) Yeah. So that has to happen at some point this season, I would hope. Miranda and Che have to break up at some point. Yeah, they have to. This family dynamic between Steve, Miranda, and Che, I still stand by the fact that they should have broken them up pre and just like that season one. Because this is way too messy. Not something I want to touch down in. No, we need to get to Miranda dating again as soon as humanly possible. Which I kind of thought we were already going to be there, but it's like, oh, sorry, I forgot we're also in marriage story. Right. Every day I wake up and wish you were dead. Yeah, we're in marriage story, but like with less Sondheim references. (laughs) That's been my big note about season one and why I predicted that season two was going to be better is it just was such a tonal shift from Sex and the City and the show and the movies that we love. My issue now with at least these four episodes of And Just Like That is it is so tonally wildly different based on the characters and the combination of characters. Well, it is episode to episode also. But even within the episode, it's like LTW, her husband, Charlotte and Harry, that's one TV show. Carrie is in an episode of Grace and Frankie this episode. Steve and Miranda are in fucking Marriage Story. Che and Lyle and Miranda are in an episode of later season L Word. It's just like... And Gloria Steinem, (laughs) potentially. Yeah. What are we doing here? And where do we go from here? We'll just have to wait and find out. All right, guys. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.